I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 4, Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. And again, if you are able, would you please stand up as we read God's word? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall, shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, I pray that as we get ready to look at your word, I I just pray that your spirit would be here to speak to us, to show us the truth. To get us ready to see you whenever the time may be. Help us this morning, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. My sermon this morning is not going to be a, an exposition of this particular text, but I'm, I'm going to use this text as a basis for my sermon. Um, Based on this text, especially in verse 4, I want to talk to you about this idea of tears, and I want to talk about three places, um, three different places. The first one, a place where every person is going to experience tears and shed tears at some point in their life. Secondly, a place where there will be nothing but shedding of tears forever. And then thirdly, there will be a place where there will be no more tears forever. It was about a month and a half ago or so when Pastor Travis asked me to teach the youth down there, and I was kind of thinking about this, and so I kind of did a... 20-minute lesson down there, but it kind of stayed with me, and I really felt like the Lord wants me to share it with everyone here this morning, so that's why I decided to do this. Now, the Bible talks a lot about tears, the shedding of tears, talks a lot about weeping and crying, and when we look at the scriptures, first of all, we see that there is a place 
where every human being who will ever live will experience tears at some point in their life. And that place is this world in which we live in. We live in a world which is not the way it's supposed to be. We live in a world which is under the curse of sin, and it is impossible to go through the whole life without shedding tears, without feeling pain and hurt. When we look at scriptures, we can see many examples of people shedding tears. Although it's not specifically mentioned in the Bible, but when I look at right at the beginning, when Adam and Eve fall into sin, in the book of Genesis, when God comes to look for Adam and Eve, it says in Genesis 3, 8, and 10, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. As I said, it's not specifically mentioned, but it's very likely that as God was calling them and searching for them, and they were hiding, there were probably some tears shed there over their guilt, sin, and disobedience. Right after that, when we see God telling the woman that she, should have, she shall have pain in childbirth, and I'm sure that she shed many tears as she gave birth to Cain and Abel and her other kids. And I'm also sure that Cain and Abel, the first thing that they did when they came out, they cried. In fact, that's true for every one of us. We enter this world shedding tears and crying. In chapter 4, we have Cain killing Abel. And I'm sure there were some tears shed over that. In chapter 6 of Genesis, we have God drowning the whole world because of sin. And you can imagine the number of tears that were shed from parents when they saw their children being drowned as waters were rising up. And I don't have to spend much time to go through the scripture uh, and see the places where even the, the, the most godliest people that we have in the scripture when they have shed many, many tears in many different cases. I'm going to mention a few examples here. I can't imagine how Abraham felt when God asked him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, to bring him up the mountain and to tie him down on the pile of wood and get ready to stab him. I'm sure there were tears there. In Genesis 26:38, Esau wept because the blessing of his father was stolen by his tricky brother, Jacob. In Genesis 37, Jacob weeps when he thinks that his son Joseph was devoured by an animal. We have many passages of David, a man after God's own heart, weeping and shedding tears for many, many different reasons. Just to mention one, Psalm 6, 6, I am 
weary with my groanings. Every night I flood my bed. I drench my couch with my tears. In Ezra chapter 10, we have Ezra weeping. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we have Nehemiah who after he hears what is going on with the Jews and Jerusalem, in Nehemiah 1.4, it says, As soon as I heard there was a, the, these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Job, a righteous man, chapter 16, verse 16, says, My face is red with weeping, and my eyelids is deep, in my eyelids is deep darkness. We have Isaiah, Jeremiah, who often weep over the judgment that was coming over God's people. Jeremiah, in fact, is called the weeping, weeping prophet. We have Daniel in Daniel 10 too. He says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. And we can go on and on. In the New Testament also, we have many people weeping and shedding tears. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was while he was on earth as a human being, he shed tears. One example is John eleven thirty five. After he hears that his friend Lazarus had died, it says that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. The truth is that everyone in this world will shed tears and will cry and will weep at some point. It's inescapable. As you, as you drive around, every, every cemetery that you see, every tombstone that you see, you can be sure that there were tears shed over every one of them. And in a sense, it's not just for humans but the whole world groans and laments under the burden of sin. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole world, the whole creation has been groaning or mourning, moaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So tears, according to the scriptures, Tears come into this world by the reason of sin, and they will be here until God makes the new heaven and the new earth. So that's the first place, this world, where everybody will experience tears at some point. Secondly, This is the one that's hard to talk about. But there is a place where there will be nothing but shedding of tears and weeping. And although it's hard to talk about it, it's true. And we, we should not avoid talking about it just because it's hard. This is the place that the Bible calls hell. Or the lake of fire. Uh, 
And unlike, unlike this world where at times at different places you can find glimpses of joy and happiness and smiles and laughter, in this place there will be none of that. There will be no happiness, no laughter, no smiling, no rejoicing, but only weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Those who go to this place will cry and weep for eternity. They have no rest day and night from their suffering and tears. They never go to sleep or wake up happy. And unlike this world, which is temporary, this place is eternal. Just think about it. Think of that word for a moment. Eternal. Never ending. Weeping and suffering and pain and misery and shedding of tears will never, never end in this place. What a terrible thought that is. Think about the worst moment that you have experienced here. Imagine if that were to go on forever. And I know we don't hear a lot about this. We don't hear a lot of preaching about this either. But, but we must, and I believe that this is an area where the church, the modern church, has really gone wrong. A avoiding to talk about this subject. When older preachers used to talk about this more, there were more revivals. There were more people understanding the consequence of their sin and crying out to God for mercy. There were more conversions. Fear of hell often is a tool that God uses to bring people to Christ. And I feel like we have thrown that tool away. We, th we seem to think that this kind of idea, talking about this subject, doesn't really work in modern men anymore. But it does. We, we need to remember that one of the jobs of the church is to terrify sinners. To let them know that there is consequence, eternal consequence, for their sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ constantly did this, remember? If you look at the words of our Lord in the New Testament, if you look at the Gospels, it's very easy to find out that he talked more about this subject than any other subject. He didn't shy away from it. 
And, he, and if there is one person who would know how to reach the lost, it's him. Let me read you some of the passages uh, when Jesus talks about this. I, I don't think we have time to wait for everybody to turn to them, so you can just maybe write them down as I read them. Matthew 8, 11 and 12. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin, all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. And gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24 48 to 50, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards and the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 29 and 30, for to everyone who has, who has will more be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant in the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is just from the Gospel of Matthew. You can go through... Mark, Luke, and John, and read more about that. And I think it's in chapter 4 of Gospel of Luke when there's a, such a big crowd around Jesus that it says that they were about to crush him. And he opens out his mouth, and guess what he says? God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. No, he doesn't. He says, don't fear the one who can only kill the body but fear the one who after has killed the body can throw your body and soul into hell. And he says, I tell you, fear him. Fear of God is a great thing. So we see that the most loving person who has ever walked this planet has talked the most about hell. And yet today, in the name of love and not being offensive to people, we do not talk about we do not talk to we do not talk to people about their future eternal punishment 
if they were to die without Christ. What a, what a tragedy that is. Furthermore, we have other authors, authors of the New Testament talking about this place of eternal weeping, eternal punishment, and eternal fire. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-8, to 8, Paul says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Jesus is coming back. But he will come back to take vengeance upon those who do not believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. John, writing in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark of his, on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink... The wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Revelation 21, 7 and 8, The one who conquers will have his, this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, Detestables, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portions will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the place that I'm talking about when there will be nothing but shedding of tears forever. Now, who will end up in this place? Who are the people who will go to this place? Well, as we just read in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, it says those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone who doesn't know God through the gospel of Jesus Christ will go to this place. It doesn't matter what God you think you believe in. It doesn't matter what religion you belong to. If it's not through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you do not know God. And the consequences of not knowing God through the gospel of Jesus Christ are that you will go to this place of eternal fire when there will be eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember, there is only one God and there's only one way to be reconciled to this God, and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
No one. In Acts 4, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ. Believing in God without the gospel of Jesus Christ is only enough to condemn you, but not to save you. Because all that tells you is that you, you knew that there was a God, but you didn't go in through the way that He, through the only way that He has provided through Jesus Christ. Now, I can't go on without pleading with you a little bit. Do you believe the gospel? Do you truly believe the gospel? Let's just stop and, and think for a moment and examine our own hearts. And I'll just play games with this because you, you can't have this wrong and hope to be okay. Are you truly born again? Remember Jesus told Nicodemus who was a very respectful and a very religious person. He said, I tell you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So stop and ask yourself, are you truly born again or are you just a religious person? There's a great, great difference between the two. One will lead you to that place of eternal punishment. The other will lead you to the place of eternal joy. So we need to think about this very very deeply. Don't go another moment. Don't go another minute without settling this thing. Do you truly know Christ savingly? You know, sometimes I wish that I could just come and, and, and sit right next to you and not let you go until you understand how important this is and make a decision to be reconciled to God through the gospel because I would hate for any one of you to end up in this place. So, so be reconciled to God through the gospel of Christ. Consider what a, what a great news the gospel is when you know what's at stake. Although we are sinners and enemies of God by our nature, 
and by our works. God in His grace, mercy, great mercy has, has, uh, has reached down to us to make a way for us to be reconciled to Him. He has provided a way. He didn't say, well, you, you messed up. Now I'm going to wait for you until you get better. And then once I see that you are serious, I'm going to try and help you. He has reached down. He has made a way. And his way is not hard. It's free. It's a free gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, he doesn't say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever tries hard, whoever tries their best, and then I see that they're serious about it, then I will help them so that they will not perish. If that was the case, we would all be damned. But no, the gospel, the good news is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to, to see how good we will do before he helped us. The idea that God helps those who help themselves, so wrong. Our God loves sinners. Do you know that that's unique to Christianity? I come from a Muslim background and Allah doesn't love sinners. He loves those who do good as much as they can and then hopefully God will love them. It's not like that with the gospel. God loves sinners. God loves his enemies. So I plead with you, please believe the gospel. Turn to him. It's by faith. You recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that you can't do anything to merit his grace and mercy. And you throw yourself into his arms and cry out for help. And his promise is, anyone who come to me, I will never turn out. So if you're here today without Christ, you can't say you didn't know this anymore because you heard it. You can't use that excuse anymore on the day of judgment. So don't wait another day. Death is a reality and it could happen to any one of us today. For you as a non-Christian, please listen. There is a moment coming. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be any time. When you will enter eternity. 
And you will never again for eternity experience one single moment of joy or laughter or happiness. It will be gone forever. You will only experience pain and suffering and anger and sadness for eternity. For you, as a non-believer, this temporary world will be the only place when you will experience joy. After you depart this world, that's gone forever. And there will be an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So keep that in mind. And I pray that it causes you to Understand how urgent it is that you turn to Christ for salvation. Somebody's speeding up the clock there. So, so that's the second place. Thirdly and briefly, there is a place, the third place, where there will be no more tears, no more weeping. No more sadness, no more pain, no more suffering. And that place is heaven. And this place is only for those who are in Christ. Those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Those who have given up trusting in their own good works and good deeds and are trusting in Christ alone and what he has done. This place is for those who have been born again and have had a transformed life. These alone are the people who will be in this place where there will be no more tears, but only joy and happiness forever. Jesus talked about this place too. This is, uh, this is the place where Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It is a place in the presence of God. It is a place of everlasting joy. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Heaven is a place of eternal joy waiting for those who are in Christ. Now, for you brothers and sisters who are in Christ, let me, let me encourage you with something. Kind of like what I said for, for the non-Christians, but now the opposite. For you, as a Christian, as a born-again Christian, there is a moment coming. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be any time when you will also enter Eternity, the presence of your loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And you will never, never again for eternity shed one more tear. You will never again experience pain, suffering, or sadness. It will be over forever. For you... Christians, this temporary world will be the only place where you will experience 
tears. Once you leave this world, it is over forever. And you will enter the place of eternal joy and happiness. No more tears for you. No more suffering for you. No more pain for you. No more sadness for you. This is the third place. Now lastly, I have one more thing to, for us as Christians. Since we know this reality and we know the, the consequences of not believing in Christ, let me ask you, are, are, you concern, are we concerned about the lost? Are we actively trying to, to win souls? Are we, are we endeavoring to bring people to Christ? What a tragedy it would be if we know that the most of people in this church don't truly endeavor and try to win souls for Christ. What a selfish thing that would be. What we need to do when I'm guilty of this we need to begin to look at people with eternal perspective and not just temporarily for here and now. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard or judge no one according to the flesh. That's what we need to do. We need to look at people not just according to the flesh, to the temporary life of now. We need to look at them with the eye of eternity. And as I said, I am guilty of this myself. And may God help us and forgive us and change us to where we look at people as eternal beings, where where they're going to end up in either one of these places. And we, we as Christians, have the cure to their greatest problem the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ I pray that we would think about these these places and I pray that we would have passion for the lost to reach them with the gospel of Christ knowing what's coming Um, I do have a book to recommend to you, which I've read myself. It's called An Alarm to the Unconverted by Joseph Elaine. It will do two things for you. It would help you, first of all, examine your own heart to see if you are in Christ. But it also, it will go every way trying to convict you in what a danger the lost are and trying to give you a Desire to go after them with the gospel of Christ. Again, it's an alarm to the unconverted. Um, please get a copy. And I've said before, as I've said before, if you want it and can't afford it, just let me know and I'll ask Dave Dollar to buy it for you. Right? Let's pray.
Father, I thank you. For the truth. And although it's hard, I thank you that we know the truth. And thank you, Lord, for those who believe the truth and are saved. And for those who don't, Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts to bring them to see the great news of the gospel and what it does to those who repent and believe. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins and our disobedience and change us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.